Welcome back to another week of Behind the Lens in 2023, year nine for BTL. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers, the shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, the writers, the directors, the actors, the cinematographers, sound designers, sound mixers and editors, film editors, costume designers, choreographers, production designers, authors, you name it, we talk to them. And boy, oh boy, we're doing a lot of talking this month because Slamdance Film Festival starts on January 20th in Park City in Salt Lake City, Utah. And every year, as you know, our regular listeners, we always cover a few of the films that are going to be at Slamdance. Uh, in the month of January. And the next couple of weeks, that's what you're going to hear about. Some really good slam dance films. And we've got two great ones today uh, that we've got filmmakers calling in on. As a matter of fact, already on hold. Well, I'm going to bring him live in a minute. Pam, it's John. Okay. John Sue uh, is jo- will be joining us momentarily. Producer and actor in a documentary. It's a hybrid It's a hybrid documentary uh, that is called Starring Jerry as Himself. And we're going to get into this with John. There's a lot that we aren't going to talk about about the film because it would be spoilery. And you don't want to be spoiled uh, with Starring Jerry as Himself. At the midpoint of the show, Alex Rappaport, director, cinematographer, and editor, joins us with his documentary with Peter Bradley about the artist, the uh, just an amazing artist, um, abstract artist. I first took note of Bradley's work back in the 70s when I was in high school and college, and then he kind of disappeared. And uh, I was always a great admirer of his works. So to see this documentary that Alex has done, I'm so excited. Now, both of these films, starring Jerry as himself and with Peter Bradley, are both in the documentary feature competition at Slamdance. So we got guys going head-to-head on the show today. But before we get started with that, I just have to say this morning, on the way in, the word came out that the Italian screen legend Gina Lola Brigida passed away at age 95. A lovely, lovely woman. I had the privilege of interviewing her on the 2016 TCM Film Festival red carpet. That interview, video interview, is up on uh, the website, BehindTheLensOnline.net, or on the Behind the Lens Online YouTube channel. So you can check it at either place. Um, A true, I mean, in the 50s and 60s, she was a goddess, a goddess. And she transitioned from Italian films to Hollywood and did it seamlessly, starring opposite some of Hollywood's greatest leading men. Um, so that is, it was sad news today. But last week, and again, our regular listeners, you've heard her on the show multiple times, calling in live, my beloved friend Carol Cook, Broadway legend. Film, stage. Um, She was the first person to play Hello, Dolly after Carol Channing originated the role. Uh, And Carol played it. Carol Cook played it in Australia for two years. Uh, Many of you also know her from her film work, Sixteen Candles. The incredible Mr. Limpet. One of everybody's favorites. And countless television appearances. In the past couple weeks, I've seen her on Emergency and on Murder, she wrote. uh, In reruns. Classic TV, folks. Classic TV is the best. So pay attention to Cozy and Me TV. You really want to watch those channels. So I am just, I am heartbroken about Carol's passing. Uh, My heart goes out to her husband, Tom Troop, who is a gentleman and one of the nicest people you could ever meet. But the world is much dimmer uh, right now. And of course, Jeff Beck passed away last week 
and the shocker of all shocks, Lisa Marie Presley. Um, I think 2023 needs to go back into a closet already. It's just, it is the losses are unfathomable at uh, this point already. But, uh, and my interviews with Carol, some are in, Carol Cook, some are in print, some are audio. Every Behind the Lens radio show is archived. So you can just go to the website, BehindTheLensOnline.net, and you can type in the search, Carol Cook. Uh, you can type in the search, Gina Lola Brigida. And the interviews, videos, audio, and print will all pop up for you. And uh, you can uh, travel down memory lane with some wonderful, wonderful ladies. All right. Well, now let's move on to today's show. And I'm very excited. John, are you there? Hello. Yes, I am. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great. Great to speak to you. I am so excited to have you on the show today. Uh, I watched your documentary. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> I love it. A, a potential comedy, a spy thriller. Yeah. Um, it is so much fun. It's your whole family. Your mm -hmm. dad um, is, quote unquote, the lead actor, and he also is a co-writer of this. Um, and it's very fun to find out in the course of the film, you know, his big dream, you know, he originally wanted to, he wanted to act and write scripts, but because yeah, you and your siblings came along, you know, he did the good dad thing and, mm -hmm. uh, got a job 40 years as a civil engineer, uh, to, pro yeah. to provide for all of you. And this film is actually, this documentary is a chance for him to fulfill that dream he once had, shall we say. Yeah, it, it really is. It's, it was a, um, it was an unbelievable sort of uh, film. You know, this wasn't a film that I thought I would be making. Um, you know, I don't want to. <laughs> have any spoilers or anything yeah, no. around the, the same subject but yeah it was it, it 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 happened just almost a year and a half ago where he had called me and let me know that um and that he was recruited by the chinese police to be a secret agent and to uh as an undercover agent spy on a bank um to reveal a money laundering scheme that was happening there and you know my father was like you said a, you know just a regular engineer retired man in florida uh you know just enjoying his his life when this happened he got thrown into sort of this dark underworld of um you know surveillance and spying and stuff and yeah it was just too fantastical unbelievable so i was like this has to be documented yeah I, it's how could you not how could yeah. you not yeah. document this? And what I love is that you really give it the way that you and um, your director, Lawrence Chen, Lawrence also edited the film as well. Um, yeah, Law Chen. He is um, kind of like the heart of this project. He's, he's really, really led it from the beginning um, with me um, as a partner, as a creative partner, directing, writing it, uh, shooting it with me in Florida, and editing the whole thing. It was definitely a, a very large rock to push uphill, you know, as, as any indie, indie documentary is. Um, but, yeah, he's, he and I have always decided to uh, tell films in an uh, interesting way, make unusual, different choices. And, and so we really play with the format of documentary in this. Well, and you do an incredible job with this in the structure of the film, John. Um, I, and I commend Law immensely because he mm -hmm. keeps us, he creates a lot of ambiguity. So we're wondering, mm -hmm. we're wondering, okay, is this a comedy? Is this a spy thriller? Is, is this a dream, a hallucination? Um, <laughs> you, you guys really keep us on our toes 
and give us a myriad of possibilities. And it's not until into the third act where all the puzzle pieces are revealed. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I just love that. It's, it's, you know, it's like reading a good, yeah, it's a good mystery. And, but along the way, it's so entertaining because your dad plays himself. You and your siblings and your mom are in here as well, all playing yourselves. Um, Your mom is a piece of work. Your mom is a kick in the ass. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because they were. I mean, this is this is the documentary, and uh, to give support around the the character, I was able to ask you know all the family members involved, and you know just growing up, uh, I was making home movies and such with the video camera, and uh, that's kind of shown a little bit in the in the film itself, where I'm I'm just behind camera, and. Um, yeah, for me to ask them to participate, they just thought it was a natural thing because they they did it all the time when I was in high school, um, and and shooting like my short films and sketches and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, my um, my uh, mother is an amazing artist. Uh, she's an interior designer, painter. Um, she is just like a huge inspiration as far as all the artistic qualities in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and little did I know that so would my father. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> yeah. It's amazing yeah. <laughs> what we discover later in life. These hidden desires and hidden secrets about our parents. And yeah. the dreams that they had for what they wanted to be or wanted to do. That they put on hold for us. Essentially. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a strange... Um, a uh, moment where when we went to go shoot the documentary with Jerry, uh, we asked him to tell us exactly what happened. Like, do you remember the conversations you had with the police and the bank tellers? And he said, yes. And then he wrote down everything for us. Um, but to our surprise, he wrote it down in like a screenplay format oh my God. Um, with like the dialogue, the character heading and I was so surprised. I was just like, how do you know how to do this? And he's like, oh, you know, when I came, when I immigrated uh, <laughs> to America, I loved playwriting and um, setting up plays. I did Christmas plays when you guys were kids and casted all you guys. And, you know, I just didn't have a chance to do that because I, I just had a, um, I had a sacrifice to bring in uh, income to raise these children. So, yeah, I put my passions aside. And, um, but I do know how to do this. So it was, it was surprising to me. I had no idea. Like when, when he told us and, and then law made a decision and he was just like, well, if we shoot this, can we shoot it with you playing yourself? And he's like, yes, only if I can get to star in a spy movie, because I felt like James Bond or Jason Bourne through this whole process. He was like, I felt like 007. So, um, so then we decided, let's go make this doc that kind of feels like a spy film, but ultimately it's a film about an immigrant searching for the American dream. Yeah. Uh, and what's so great is these recreations that you've done, because this really is, it's, I like the description of a docu-fiction hybrid, mm-hmm. because that's really what this is. Uh, but the recreations, uh, the family dinner at the restaurant, and... What's so beautiful, what Law did, uh, we have the family. It's like, Jerry's like, I got to talk to you. Oh, I got to tell you something. Are you sick? Do you have cancer? You know, what? what's, no, 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 I'm fine. But, and then we go into more of the reenactments uh, as he yeah. goes back. So instead of him sitting there and saying, okay, well, on X day, I got a phone call and, no, we see everything happen essentially in real time. Yeah. And that is so effective, John. That really <laughs> brings us as the audience into the film, into your oh. dad's story. That makes me so excited that you picked up on that. Um, it's, it's a, it was subtle and 
there were many people that we were screening to when we were still like in the rough cut stages. They're just like, well, I didn't even realize there was this transition. Uh, I don't think it's a spoiler that we say that, but, um, but yeah, like we, we made that sort of visual audio sort of cue, mm-hmm. um, that we're now going into the, uh, the retelling, the recreation of the story. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's law and I just loving the films that have come before us and playing with the form. Like we love Michelle Gondry, like eternal sunshine. Mm -hmm. Um, we love, uh, playing with like the film language. Uh, we think about films like, um, inception and, you know, we love these kinds of films that, uh, just have like a, kind of a high concept feel and, mm-hmm. and, a, and therefore a different visual style and storytelling. And then we're like, let's put it in this documentary. Like we want it to be completely immersive as sort of a spy film, put the audience in Jerry's shoes right away without that camera being the, that camera and interview sort of process being that, that filter that people are like, Oh, well that happened to him and not to me. You know, we want to put them right there. And you succeed. You really yeah. succeed, John. That really impressed me as I was watching uh, this, is I felt like I was right there. And kudos to your cinematographer, to Tinks Chen, because you really do get creative with some of the visual grammar uh, in terms mm-hmm. of dutching of the camera, uh, actually softening when your mom... When we see your mom, it's like, she's a lovely ballroom dancer, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We really get a well-rounded <laughs> look at your mom. <laughs> I have a feeling she's going to be the subject of the next film. <laughs> Why do I think she really would have liked to have been the main focus in this film? She'll, she'll, get, her, she'll get her spotlight. <laughs> um, but I love the fact that whenever your mom is on screen in her place, in her home, her apartment, uh, or house, mm-hmm. it's very light. Uh, it's bright, mm. tonally bright, mm. and physically bright, too. And a lot of it is because of, as your mom describes it, cream color. She has her whole house cream color, but for her black, mm. her black mini baby grand piano. Uh, and then we see your dad's apartment, poor divorced dad, mm-hmm. And okay, it looks like a college student, college student's apartment, with boxes yeah. and I mean, it's it's the contrast, and the lighting is totally I, different, and the angles, the camera angles that are used in your dad's um, apartment, it looks like you guys were shooting primarily on sticks, and we're really at eye level with him. Mm-hmm. Um, with your mom, we get a little yeah. more distance, except in a couple scenes where she really wants to be known, her presence known, and then the camera will come in closer on her. Um, it's really fascinating to watch the visual grammar and the structure. Well, that's, you know, that's the that's pure documentary. We did not like anything. Wow. Um, that's just what it looks like <laughs> in those in those. Uh, contrasting life philosophies, I'd say, you know, it's, it's not so much poor divorced Jerry. It's just like, this is how he's happy. Mm -hmm. This is his, how he likes to live. Simple, unadorned, you know, I'm, (laughs) I, I work, I watch YouTube. I, you know, I'm retired. I go take a walk I shoot some hoops. That's my life. Um, nothing, nothing to prove to anyone. I'm happy. Right. And then there's, uh, Kathy, who's just like, she admires art, beauty. She wants to share her home with others, um, in, in social groupings and, and, uh, you know, dinners and throw parties. And, and therefore that's her life philosophy of how to live life and neither are wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's how I was raised. I got to see a yin yang balance constantly in my home and, Lawrence captured it on film. <laughs> I mean, it, it's fantastic. And you've got some really charming, charming uh, scenes happening where your dad meets your mom at a restaurant. And she's going, you wore that? You wore that shirt? To here? This is a nice restaurant. And you wore that? <laughs> and I guarantee you, everybody out there 
is going to hear their own parents' voices, their mother or their father. They're going to hear that because at some point in your life you've heard that. Uh, isn't, isn't it true that we're hardest on the people we love? Uh, I don't. I, could be. But these are such endearing moments that give, starring Jerry as himself, so much heart. You don't really expect documentaries as a rule to have so much heart. Um, this year we've seen one, Cat Daddies, that's out in theaters that is filled with heart. You know, nine guys and they're cats. And you just fall in love with the cats. Uh, but here, there is so much heart in this documentary um, that I'm glad I'm not a judge for slam dance because you are in competition. And there are quite a few good documentaries in the festival this year that I've seen. And I would have a heck of a time choosing. Um, I, That's very encouraging and scary to hear that. Well, you know, sometimes we just make the film and then it's like, oh, yeah, it's going to be judged. <laughs> well, you know, and you also you bring in outside actors as well to play the police because that's great. We actually get to see that as well. We get to see the police. We get to see and experience their end uh, as well. It's not just a voice on the end of a phone. You give us something tangible and visual to work with. And so you've got actors for that. You've got a police station. You've got the banker, who's hilarious, by the way. Absolutely hilarious. Um, and your dad's interactions are just to die for. You know, well, what do you, why are you transferring this money? That's a lot of money. You Isn't know? that bank teller great? Nick Bailey, um, theater actor and also film actor. He's, He's uh, he's been a longtime collaborator. He was in one of our first uh, Law and I's first short films together. Um, I don't make the rules. It's a Vimeo staff pick, and when we were writing these parts, I was just like, we have to get him again. Um, he would be perfect, and you know, he did us a huge favor. Just flew in during the pandemic, did this shot like a day with us, and um, that day of work, like it's immortalized on this film and it's just so many good choices he made as as an actor it, he's hilarious and watching <laughs> he and jerry and it's like well what is this money for none of your business uh but, you know, well you know do you have children why you know why do you want to know i mean everything it's point counterpoint and it's mm -hmm. and you get a great sense because I could I could picture if my grandfather had gone into a bank and was being questioned, he'd be like Jerry. Mm -hmm. No, <laughs> none of your business. Yeah. No, why are you asking yeah. that? Uh, and that's a whole gener. That's an immigrant thing. It's a generational thing that I think a lot of people. Uh, born and bred here in the United States and haven't been exposed to, you know, the older generation that came from other cultures, I think it's it'll be an, an eye-opener for them. I just fell in love with it. It was like, yeah, I know this. I know this routine. Um, but just yeah. so, so wonderful. Now, Ed, now, were you guys editing this as you went along? Or did you wait until you had accumulated all of the footage and then you and Law sat, sat down to edit? Um, yeah, we put it all together as we were going. Um, there were many gaps in between shooting because of just uh, everyone's schedule. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of weekends and holidays, we would take off from our day jobs to go and shoot this in a very indie fashion, indie fashion. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it was, uh, you know, shoot here, edit there. Um, and then just constantly writing, um, thinking of new questions to ask Jerry. Uh, and then we would film a part, ask him some questions 
and then we would have to revise what we had thought we would be shooting the next day um, based off of his responses because we wanted to be sensitive to the subject mm-hmm. and, and to his schedule. So it was um, it was a lot of... Uh, it, I think we had a shorter window of filming because some documentaries, they take years. Yes. Uh, ours took roughly a, a um, half a year to shoot. If you took all the shoot days together, it was 22 days of uh, mm-hmm. principal photography, um, like any feature. But, um, but yeah, it was um, kind of shoot, edit, you know, review the footage, and then we just keep going from there since, since we took a very unorthodox approach to the, the format. Yeah, but it works. It works, John. It may be unorthodox, but it really works. What was the most challenging challenging aspect of bringing starring Jerry as himself to life? Mm. Challenging aspect. Um, yeah, I think because of the circumstances of uh, my dad's time as an undercover agent for the Chinese police, he had to leave the country. So we only had a few months to figure out how to produce and shoot everything before he was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, we pushed all of our production and storytelling experiences and abilities to the limit, trying to trying to make this happen in the time frame. Um, and, you know, everyone wore multiple hats. Uh, I was doing sound, getting the catering, creating the costumes. Law was also doing sound, doing the camera, um, and it was because of just how quickly we had to do it. Um, mm-hmm. We just had to be in. Also, of course, with COVID restrictions, we wanted to keep the footprint small when sure. we were working with uh, a senior citizen um, and other, and um, just be sensitive around that. Um, yeah. And it was also, I think, a large hurdle for law was directing non-actors. You know, they had to play versions of themselves. They had to play themselves. They had to play themselves in the documentary portion and versions of themselves in a recreation, you know, mm-hmm. kind of take a step back from who they are and just play who they were um, at the time, you know. Um, yeah, I think that that was uh, that was the big hurdles. Um, and it was just dealing with the emotional content, watching our subject relive um, that experience. That had to be difficult. Emotional. Yeah. yeah, for yeah. you is, you know, because it's very difficult. It had to be difficult for you to separate yourself, uh, producer and son. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can just imagine that you were on an emotional roller coaster, watching as you guys are recreating and filming this. Yeah, absolutely. It was um, a lot of time on the phone when we weren't shooting and planning this, just to check in on how he was doing and to make sure he understood what we were doing this for and how his story was going to be helpful to others. Um, you, you know, the funny part, <laughs> Law likes to tell the story, um, our, our director, but there were moments where we would film a scene and Jerry would, you know, after we yelled cut, Jerry would look at Law and be like, acting is so easy. The hard part is doing it multiple times for takes. He's like, I'm a one take kind of guy. He's like, because he kept thinking of things as a stage play, right? So he just gave his performance in such a way that the first take was it, right? Um, so he was just like, acting's easy. Oh my god! It's like, well, yeah, you are just playing yourself. <laughs> Oh my! So, what led you guys to submit to Slam Dance as a film festival um, for this? Slam Dance is like the true indies of indie film festival. You know, like it's like there's not there's not much higher than Slam Dance. I would say, in, in my opinion, of a true indie film festival that you know has the restrictions of like looking for first time feature directors looking for things under a million, like not necessarily having a star attached to it, just the punk alternative sort of film festival that it's always been since its creation um, as a 
as a film student, like I remember, oh gosh, just like 2005, I'm like reading about slam dance and it must've been only just 10 years old at that point, yeah. but I was already like enamored with the idea of going to slam dance um, after hearing its origin story and all the, all the films that were coming out of it. Yeah. I mean, I personally, I like slam dance. I like the films. I like the way they curate the films. Um, we'll see how how much I like their judging this year, depending on on who wins in these various categories. Um, but yeah. and I I just love the people. I love Peter Baxter. Dan Mervish is a dream. Uh, as one yeah. of, as one of the yeah. founders, uh, Dan's been on the show several times. Um, yeah, but, um, yeah, his description of, uh, being a cheerful subversive, um, <laughs> is definitely, you know, I, I have his book. I hope I can find him and get him to sign it. I'm, I'm a park city virgin, so I've never, I've never been Ooh. for anything there. And so I'm just going to soak it all in this week. Well, okay. Now when is, let's see, according to my notes, Starring Jerry as himself, because uh, Slam Dance is a hybrid this year. There's in-person from January 20th through the 26th, and then virtual from the 23rd to the 29th. So now I know your premiere is this coming Saturday, the 21st, at 7.30 p.m., and then you've got an encore screening Monday, the 23rd, at 2.45 and then I think if you've got your tickets virtually, you can then just go on and look at what you want once everything goes virtual. Okay. Um, are you, uh, so will you be there in person for the premiere on Saturday? Yeah, um, I'll be there. Law will be there. The whole family's going to be there. Uh, Jerry, Kathy, uh, and Jesse, Josh, we're all going to be there. Um, and... Uh, we're hoping there's a Q&A portion. We'd love to just meet people afterwards because we're just so curious how this is going to impact people. Um, but, yeah, like, you, people can follow, like, at, at Starring Jerry as himself on our Instagram. That's where we're probably going to post a lot of information um, about uh, the screenings and where we'll be while we're in Park City. And just and, so you uh, know, typi- yeah. typically they do Q&As after your screening. Okay. Yeah, great. Yeah, we're so, ready. <laughs> you're ready. Look, everybody is going to want to meet Jerry. After they see this documentary, John, everybody is going to want to meet Jerry. Uh, you know, they may, and probably your mom, too. Yeah, just yeah. saying. Just saying. Yeah. Just saying, yeah. <laughs> um, is, is Kathy buying a new outfit for the premiere? Oh, yes. Um, I think she bought outfits for everyone. Um, oh, my. And herself. You know, any excuse to to, shop. to go out and get something. Oh, my God. <laughs> John, this has been so wonderful having you on the show today. I love this this documentary. I love starring Jerry as himself. I wish I was in Park City to meet Jerry uh, this weekend. Um he is an absolute joy and a treasure. And as his son, you've done, a, and a producer, you've done an amazing job with this film. Thank you so much. Um, your, your words are so kind, and um, I, I'm just very encouraged by it. So thank you. And thank you for, for the time on, on your show. This is huge. Oh, anytime, John. I hope you'll come back on the show again in the future. I, I, let's make it so. Yes, even with li- <laughs> even with little short films, you know, doesn't even need to be yeah. a feature because I know you do a lot of shorts. Well, yeah. Good luck in sla- and slam dance this coming week, and I'll have my fingers and my toes crossed for you. Okay, thank you so much, Debbie. Thanks, John. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. Next time. And that was John Sue, producer, actor, starring Jerry as himself, a true family affair. And we made it through with no spoilers. 
That was the trickiest part, people. When you see the film, you'll understand. And now we're going to switch gears. And I am so thrilled to welcome Alex Rappaport to the show. Hi, Alex. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. I am thrilled to have you and to talk about With Peter Bradley. This is a beautiful documentary. Absolutely beautiful. Um, What tickled me about your documentary from the start is I had seen some of Peter's work, works back in the 70s when I was in high school and college. And I fell in love with with two of his works, Hemming and Starmaker. And then he kind of disappeared. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, <laughs> Hemming, as, as far as I know, Hemming hasn't surfaced yet. It's amazing that you got to see it. Um, a photo. Star Maker, I, uh, uh, I see. And Star Maker, I believe, was included in a retrospective that Karma Gallery put up um, at the end of September in their new Los Angeles space. Um, it was an amazing show with... Um, a lot of paintings from the 70s, um, most of which, is, if I'd seen them at all, I only saw black and white photos of them. Because for some reason, even in the 1970s, in a gallery as substantial as Andre Emmerich, they only took black and white photos yeah. of, of the installations, which is, just blows my mind. I, that is something. And I, they've done that everywhere with installations. There was color film, but nobody used color. They took black and white. And Granted, I love I love beautiful shades of gray, but <laughs> when an artist works with color, and color is so important to Peter, um, this and you really get that great sense of it in this documentary because everything about his paintings, his life, it's all color, the color of life. The color of a garden, the color of paint, the color of the, these gels when water hits them and sits on them, or when they're sitting in a paint can and dry and turn into something else. Everything aspect of Peter's life is filled with color in some concept. The color of music, um, his custom-made clothes, it's just... Right. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And the juxtaposition, the dichotomy that you have here with this documentary is that Peter is a black artist, but he doesn't even really care about that too much. It's all about life and painting and the work. And he very candidly admits in this documentary, yeah, he's been discriminated by whites, by blacks, overlooked by both um and i find that really striking in your approach to this film and in peter's approach to the world and it's just incredible incredible alex <laughs> well thank you i mean peter you know that the, the the pleasure i had in in making the film was just that i got to spend all this time with peter and um and getting to know him and appreciate the story of his life. Um, you know, initially, I, I was drawn in as a visual subject. I thought it would be more of a, a, a study in the creative process, but I realized that I needed to, to make more room for the story of Peter's life. That, mm-hmm. that really, that was the main, that was the A story, and the, the, the making of the art became sort of the B story. Um, and yeah, he's just, you know, it's wonderful also because he lacks any pretense at all in, in, in the making of his art and talking about his art. He, he, it's, it's not a lot of ego, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, it's very refreshing to be around, uh, a creative person who can just speak so candidly about, what they do, and, and, and as you said, in terms of Peter's life, you know, there was no subject that was off limits um, t- 
to, to ask him questions about. Sometimes he didn't have that much to say about mm-hmm. certain things. Um, and and the same went for filming him work, which I, I didn't realize in the moment, but have been told by many people in the art world since then that that's just, you know, artists just don't do that. They don't let right. people, you know, r- record their process and their sort of trade secrets, as it were. I think that Peter, because of his age and experience. He was 79 primarily when I filmed him. He's, he's now 82. I think he just felt like he has nothing really to lose by letting people see how he works. Sure. Um, so it was just great. And, and it was always just the two of us. Um, so it was very... The, I, I called the film with Peter Bradley because ultimately that's just the experience of it. You're just there with him yeah. through the camera lens that I had with me. Well, something that you also do, because music is such an important, jazz is such an important part of life for Peter. And listening to his stories, you know, he he thought that Miles, at one point in his growing up, he thought Miles Davis was his father. And he got really into right. jazz and listening to him talk about being with Davis and Coltrane, uh, Dizzy Gillespie, his story, nonchalance about Aretha Franklin. Oh, yeah, she lived in the neighborhood. Um, It is fascinating, absolutely fascinating listening to him. Yeah, he kind of comes across as a mid-20th century arts and culture zealot figure. Yes. Um, And there were even other references, little sidebars that I didn't even include, like... His uh, his intersection with Bishop Tutu in South Africa. <laughs> oh my gosh! You know, so he he he. Um, but going back to the music, which you know is is an, is really another kind of a B story in the film. You know, uh, Peter was adopted as an infant, and his his mother ran like a rooming house um, in this town of Connellsville, Connellsville Pennsylvania, uh, and his father worked on one of the train lines and uh, would meet all these black musicians en route to Pittsburgh, but the trains connected and somehow they, sometimes they had to stay overnight to catch the next train. And so they would stay at the Bradley's house. And so a lot of these A-list musicians, Miles Davis and Art Blakey among them, uh, stayed with them when he was a kid. So he was not only exposed to the music, but was meeting these people and having them as role models. And uh, from the time he was a child uh, and was painting and drawing, his mother seemed to encourage him to paint and draw as other parents kind of sit their kids down at a piano to Mm -hmm. practice the piano. She had it in her head that he would paint and draw. And um, he always listened to music as he did that. And so that's something that continues. He has what they call synesthesia, right, where you can hear music but see it as color and Mm -hmm. so the different rhythms and um, uh, instrumental colors as it were of the music manifest in different ways on Peter's canvas it's pretty cool well and this is where you very keenly in constructing this documentary you fill the film with music with jazz Javon Jackson these jazz compositions are fabulous. I want a soundtrack. I want a soundtrack. I know. I do too. I'm glad you said that. Of, um, of this documentary. I would love to do a soundtrack oh. album. Um, yeah, Javon Jackson. Well, that's another good story with Javon. So Peter has known Javon Jackson since the late 80s when Javon started playing with Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, like right out of Berkeley College of Music. Mm-hmm. Um, and Javon... Um, Hasn't been in touch so much in recent years with Peter, um, but it was actually Peter's wife, Deborah, who uh, last year, a year and a half ago, Javon was playing a concert in Poughkeepsie in the summer. They have a summer jazz uh, um, festival um, in the Hudson Valley. And she said, oh, you should come with us and hear our friend Javon play. And then after the concert, she got us together and she was like, you know, I've got this idea. <laughs> Don't you think Javon would, would do a great soundtrack? And I said, oh, my God, yes, absolutely, because the style of music he plays is, is completely of that, that sound of the mid-century classic mm-hmm. 
um, classic artists. And um, it worked out that the timing and um, Javon loves the film and uh, got to he got to understand Peter on a level that he hadn't before because he'd never been around Peter when Peter painted. He always met Peter when Peter had, was hanging out with all the jazz cats, you know, at all these shows he would go to. And so um, Javon totally got it. I, I had in the in in my rough cuts the temp music were tracks from all of these CDs that Peter had lying around his studio, you know, just the classic canon mm-hmm. uh, artist, Coltrane, Miles, and I knew I could never afford to use that, but Javon internalized that and did an incredible original soundtrack with his quintet that uh, we recorded live. I actually um, filmed a little bit while that was being recorded, and um, we're going to uh, have a little of those teased out little segments in an interview with Javon in, on social media sometimes. Ooh. And but what you do with the music, um, you use it really for transitions. That's where it becomes very, and your sound mix is great because when you're transitioning, after we've heard Peter talk about something or we've gone through his closet and he's showing off his custom-made clothing, some of which he's never worn, some which is a jacket he swapped with another notable jazz cat, uh, just phenomenal and you use the music to transit to transition us but then also during a couple very nice montages of peter and his painting process uh particularly the scene with the uh, where he's got the big canvas on the ground he's got paint and he's using a hose garden hose um to striate the water to uh you know make it prismatic and the jazz comes up. So we're hearing the colors of the paint, the colors of the prism as Peter's mm-hmm. making it. And I just love how you structured that. Uh, well, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that. Yeah, it was, uh, well, a lot of work, a lot of it, you know, owes to Javon's sensitivity in, in, in getting that and um, in translating the emotions of Peter's story into music. Um, you know, there's no real story arc to this to this film. There wasn't anything happening with Peter while I filmed him. He just had his daily routine. Sure. We'd get out and paint every day. And really, just painting for painting's sake, because at that time, even into 2020, um, Peter really had no market. There was no one interested in buying the paintings for the most part. Um, and uh, so I realized that the structurally with the film, what I, what I had for story was just the story of his life. And so my task editorially was to create a rhythm going back and forth between Peter talking about the different chapters in his life and, and working um, through his process. And um, I think one of the reasons that succeeds so well is because of the music. So yes. I really appreciate you, you catching that. Now, at what point did you actually develop the through line here? Did you know going in or was it after speaking with Peter and accumulating footage that you started to see where you could develop a through line? Yeah, at all, you know, the editing. <laughs> yeah, the talk, the t- let's um, talk about this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I really, I had no preconceptions about what I was making, uh, certainly initially filming with Peter. And I should, I should back up and say, you know, this all happened because Peter lives about a six-minute drive from my house in the small town in the Hudson Valley, Saugerties, New York, were about 100 miles north of New York City. Um, I had met Peter through a local art gallerist who has a tiny little storefront art gallery here in town where he only shows local artists. And he had managed to cultivate a relationship with Peter, I think through a mutual friend of Peter's wife. And in 2019, showed some of Peter's paintings, um, which he had trouble getting people interested in, quite frankly. Um, And um, Robert, uh, the gallery director, had introduced my wife to Peter as a filmmaker, 
And Peter said, well, you should make a film about me. And she said, well, actually, my husband would be the better person to do that because he does more documentaries. And um, and then my daughter helped out at the gallery over Christmas break that year. And she came home one day talking about Peter. I said, okay, I've got to get an introduction. So Robert introduced me to Peter in January 2020. And Peter was like, get your camera. You want to start today? You know, <laughs> so I would just go over when I had free time and I wasn't working. I, I work as a cinematographer. I've specialized in documentaries um, for over 30 years now. So I have all the gear. I have my editing system. And it was just a little project I took on. Um, and it sort of grew. And and it grew as I realized the, the importance of Peter's story. You know, when mm-hmm. I'd sit him down and we'd talk, um, I didn't realize, you know, what an incredible figure he is, how singular he is, I mm-hmm. think, um, in terms of not only art history, but sort of cultural uh, American history in, in, you know, in the 60s and 70s. Yes. Um, he rose to remarkable heights before he fell off the radar. Um, and uh, I, it just seemed like no one had been that interested in telling the story. So I really, I kind of felt a responsibility uh, of my own. Peter never put any pressure on me that I felt like I needed to get his story out there so people would know who he is and he could sell some paintings again. Mm-hmm. And um, as fate would have it, uh, while I was editing in the fall of 2020, he was sort of rediscovered uh, by Karma, Karma Gallery in New York. And in 2021, had his first solo show in the city in 45 years. And he's doing incredible now. I mean, his paintings are selling all over the world. It's been a remarkable turn of events. Um, and I'm thrilled for Peter um, that he's getting his due, you know, mm-hmm. boy in spades, really. I mean, it's incredible. You know, there, some of the paintings are selling for six figures now. Um, and rightfully so. They're big, beautiful works of art. So it's just amazing that I caught him. I want, inadvertently... I'm telling the before story just before it became before. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> uh, so. But see, that's the yeah. interesting story. You know, once, you know, once he now gets a show again after 45 years and his paintings are selling, eh, we, you know, you could find that now. But it's all of this right. meaty, the meaty stuff of life that yeah. make Peter. Well, that's Peter, what was so, really oh. so, so magical about that window of time that I met Peter and and was with him in this intimate way when when no one else was coming around, you know, um, he was just completely open, uh, and there was nothing else going on. So he was always really happy for me to come by with the camera. I think in a way it motivated him to paint sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, that I was going to come over, and um, it was just so great because. I would just go for a few hours at a time, and I would want to wear him out, you know. And then it became the other arc of the picture is sort of a seasonal arc. I started filming him in February and winter, and then by the end of June, when all the flowers were blooming, and Peter is a gardener, which is another nice aspect of his story. Um, As everything came to bloom, I realized that that kind of completed a little bit of a temporal arc, and that's mm-hmm. when I sort of stepped back to to edit in earnest because I didn't want to overshoot it. Right. <laughs> um, you know, how yeah. how difficult was the editing? Because you've got you know Peter's talking about so many things, so many elements of his life, and I'm sure when he starts talking yeah. about people, you know, like the Jazz Cats, like Coltrane and and Miles Davis. It's like, oh God, I don't want to cut that out. I don't want to cut that out. How? So, what was that challenge like for you to make this cohesive and cogent? Um, well, you know, it's a long process of elimination, um, and was particularly challenging because I was doing. You know, I wish I could have afforded to hire an editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of great editors, um, but you know, as they say, the DNA of the film was just that I was going to have to make this thing myself, you know, which mm-hmm. was a blessing, really, in, in most ways, um, but challenging. And, and I relied on a lot of those smart friends of mine uh, in the business, filmmakers and editors, to 
to look at my rough cuts along the way and guide me in, in their reactions. Um, and I thank them, a, a number of them prominently in the end credits, you know, without, without that help. And that's what's so great, you know, particularly in the doc world, this, there's really a great community um, sense among people in documentary film of, of willing to take that time and offer, you know, feedback um, without any expectation of anything in return, you know. Um, it's very supportive in that way. And, um, you know, that makes up for the fact that the money isn't very good most <laughs> of the time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's how I did it. I just And, and the final cut, really, um, I didn't arrive at until uh, the end of November, um, just, you know, a couple months ago. Uh, after I did a work in progress screening uh, in November and seeing it on the screen, there were a few things that I caught that I wanted to change, you know, and mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it, it, everything gets better the more effort you can put into it, just like writing. And so I'm glad that I'm glad that the, the, uh, the film works for you uh, structurally. It, it was a lot of work. You know, what is it about documentaries that speaks to you? What draws you to telling the sto stories through documentary? Well, personally, I think I'm just an inquisitive person. Um, and I always, in a conversation, find myself asking the questions rather than <laughs> talking about myself, you know. Um, so I guess I'm a natural observer and listener, uh, and then, you know, the great thing about documentaries is you just get to meet people and go places that you would never in your wildest dreams, you know, get to walk in those doors mm -hmm. or, or sit around those tables, you know, from famous people just to exotic locations. And, and that's just, that's priceless, really, you know, to be able to have those experiences. So that's what I love about it. What led you to Slam Dance? Uh submitting to slam dance with this film you know i have to say honestly it was um it was not an accident but i uh hadn't been planning on it i i was i was really focused on just getting the film done and i hadn't been thinking about submitting to festivals uh this past summer and i mentioned that peter had uh the Karma did this uh, retrospective exhibit in at the end of September in Los mm -hmm. Angeles, and they. When I heard about that in the summer, I had told Peter's wife, oh, "Wouldn't it be great if we could do a private screening of the film as a work in progress to coincide with Peter's exhibit, and I can get feedback and a little, maybe a little traction for the project." And the gallery, you know, was really generous, and they rented out a theater and invited a lot of the people that came to the art exhibit and um we we uh did this screening um and uh i'm losing my train of thought now what was your question again <laughs> why slam dance what what led you to slam oh, dance with oh, the right. film so 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 we did the screening i think it was like um september 30th or october 1st and one of my friends in los angeles who i invited a filmmaker came to watch it and was like this you know this was incredible. You've got to submit this to slam dance. And I think the deadline is today. <laughs> and so it, I, sure enough, it was, I think the deadline was the next day. I went back to my hotel room and, and filled out the application, you know, on film freeway and sent it off just in the nick of time. And wow. I'm so glad I did. Um, uh, it's just really good, um, good fortune. There's a lot of good angels that have been, that have been on my shoulder, I think, helping me with this project. And I certainly hope that continues now that it's done. And um, I, I really hope it can find a larger audience because I think Peter deserves it. Oh, he definitely does. And the documentary deserves a larger audience. I mean, this is, and I have to compliment you on your cinematography. It is stunning. Oh, thank you. It is so thank you. beautiful. Um, it is as... Well, it was, it was really... Yeah, that was just really the greatest creative experience I've ever had, just to have no pressure and just go and set up a camera and, and be there and, and, you know, try and make it look as 
as elegant as I could. Um, so I appreciate that. You really did. And the way that you use, that you capture the light, uh, you've got quite a few scenes where he's showing you, sitting in a chair. The fireplace scenes are great. The fireplace chat scenes <laughs> I, I just fell in love with. <laughs> but you've got a scene yeah. with the white, whitewashed wood and the windows and light coming in. And he's sitting there with the light and showing you, I think it was some engravings he was showing you at that point. Yeah. And just so beautifully composed. It was so natural and effortless, like Mother Nature was shining down on both of you. And Yeah. Uh, well, I'm really, I'm, I really appreciate hearing that. Thank you. And you have some beautiful shots of the cat. Yeah, I had more shots of the cat. Got to include the cat. Like, There's too many shots of the cat. You got to take him out. <laughs> well, but we have to make mention of the cat because the cat is beautiful and the cat is so sweet. You've got one shot with the cat just sitting there in the yard on the grass, um, not moving, just looking like a little statue almost, and is just priceless. Yeah. Yeah, Rudolph, Rudy the cat, he would just sort of appear at these nice little moments. That actually, the shot you're talking about is the last shot of the yep. film, where Peter um, is tending his rose bush, um, and um, the last thing he says in the film is, "All right, let's go sit down and have a beer." Which, when people see the film, they'll see that Peter's often just got a beer in his hand, you know, or a glass of wine well, as we're talking. So, I cracked. Well, you know, when he said that, as, <laughs> as as I was recording that, and and he said it, I was like. That's going to be the end of the movie. I don't know how I'm going to get here, but that's going to be the last. That's going to be the last. And I love the comments <laughs> he makes. It's like, maybe we shouldn't have this many beer cans. And I think he was throwing yeah. him in the fireplace or something. And you're like, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> um, I mean, and I was just, yeah. I mean, this entire film, I have to tell you, Alex, is so effortless and inspiring. And beautiful. Every image is beautiful. Um, Peter's story is beautiful. It's a beautiful story. Uh, and just as he captures beauty in his paintings, you captured it with this documentary. Uh, thank you so much. Well, you've got your listeners that are hearing that, you know. I mean, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll get some... We'll get some people to write about the film in, in as glowing and lovely terms as you've just expressed. Um, nothing would thrill me more. And um, thank you so much. It's really deep, deeply meaningful for me to hear that. Um, you know, I, I, the film hasn't really been seen by an audience yet, and so wow. I'm a little anxious about how it'll be received. Well. But, you know, to hear... To hear your um, take on it is really reassuring. Well, so. it's about to be Thank seen so this Sunday, January 22nd at 1245. It is screening in person at Slamdance. And then there's an encore screening on Tuesday the 24th at 530. And since the festival is yeah. a hybrid festival, if people aren't in Park City, go online to, to Slamdance and get yourself some virtual... Virtual tickets so that you can watch some of these films, including with Peter Bradley. Yeah, which is, yeah and for just like $7.99, yeah. they can get a pass, which is an incredible value. So everyone should definitely do that. Definitely. Amazing films. I can't wait just to be there to watch other films. Oh. Quite frankly, it's going to be really fun. Well, I mean, b before you, John Sue was on talking about his documentary starring Jerry as himself. That's a great—you guys are going to go head-to-head. -head. For my money, the two of you okay. are going head to head in the documentary feature competition. Um, but and I've seen several other. I think I've seen about seven films so far um, that are at Slam Dance. Mm. And I have to tell you, the caliber of films. And this is kudos to Peter Baxter and Dan Mervish and their other partner in and their committees in their selection committees. Um, because the quality of films I have seen escalate exponentially over the years. And uh, this, yeah, is, this well, is just yeah, one they, of the prime examples. Taste. 
Yeah, this is one of the of the prime examples uh, of the oh, caliber of film. You. Oh, Alex, well, this has been so well, wonderful, uh, wonderful. Well, I wish I was. I wish I could be wherever you are. I'd give you a big hug. <laughs> <laughs> You're in New York. I'm in L.A. Um, <laughs> And then next week, this next weekend, you're going to be at the festival in person. I will. Yeah, I'll be there all week. So great! People can come and meet you. They can see you, uh, and they can ask you all about the f- film with Peter Bradley. Alex, this has been a pure joy. I hope you'll come back on the show again because I know you're always working on something. <laughs> I would love to come back anytime. Oh, Alex, thank you, thank you so much. And you have a wonderful rest of the day and an incredible Slam Dance Film Festival experience. Thank you so much, Debbie. I really appreciate it. Take care. Thanks, Alex. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Alex Rappaport, director, cinematographer, editor, and producer of With Peter Bradley. I'm just glad I'm not a judge for Slam Dance this year. Um. Because there are some excellent films. We've just talked with two filmmakers about two of those excellent films. Next week, we're going to be looking at another. More slam dance films. Um, Very exciting. So that is all the time we have today. We only ran over by a little bit this week. Um, So until next week. I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.